Awesome. Wonderful. Well, good morning, everybody. It's an absolute, absolute, absolute privilege to be back in this great, great land of South Africa. And I have to be honest, there were times I thought this would not happen. I thought maybe we're going to never get back to the great land of South Africa. It's been three years, but we are so grateful the borders opened and we came running as soon as they did. And we trust they stay open so I can get home to my wife and my other two sons. But it really is great to be a Joel. My oldest son is traveling with me, which is great to have him here. And uh, yeah, it's great. And so, yeah, just wonderful to see you guys. Thank you for coming out. It's amazing just to see the crowds here this morning and wonderful when leaders get together. Wonderful when people of God get together. And obviously we've got some lessons, no doubt, from this crazy season that we've been in. How many of you learned a lesson or two through this season? I'm, uh, I'm not into writing books, but I want to learn some lessons. I began to put a list together and listen and ask certain people around the world, give me one or two of your lessons from lockdown. And it's been amazing. And I want to learn from everyone, not just from what I've learned, because if we can learn, then perhaps we won't have to go through those things again. One thing to say, I've learned, but learned means I've changed, I've adjusted, I've pivoted, and I've learned to get back to what really matters rather than, great lesson, let's carry on with what we were doing. And uh, man, it's been a crazy, crazy season. I think for me, the biggest lesson, and even just singing these songs this morning, I just wanted to grab the microphone and say, hang on, before we move on to anything, just settle what you're about. I think we all talk about Jesus, we all talk that we're about Jesus, and then we realize when a hit of a lockdown or a shutdown or something happens that tests us, we'll say that shaking reveals what you're anchored to. You never know what you're anchored to till you're tested and shaken. What I realize, my emphasis on Jesus has been obviously something I've been going after and trusting for and believing for. But when shutdown, lockdown happened, and I wasn't able to do the work of the Lord that I thought I was called to do, I began to get questioning a whole lot of stuff, including, what's my call? What's my identity? What's this really about? And I realized through the season that, and please hear this, not a cliche, please hear the significance of this. The Lord of the work is way more important than the work of the Lord. Elders, do you hear that? The Lord of the work is way more important than the work of the Lord. So many things have changed through this season. There's no going back. We can't be nostalgic for a season or an era that no longer exists. People think, ah, I long for 2019. 2019's come and gone. 2020's come. 21, 22. And not that what we were doing was wrong, but God's not calling us to go back. God's doing things now. God's done things through. And God's calling us to go forward into what He has. And some of what was will come into what we're doing, but we're not going back. God's doing things. God's done things. But know this. Don't get busy with the work of the Lord at the expense of the Lord of the work. 
We are governed as leaders and elders by the work rather than the Lord of the work. What has not changed, the only thing that has not changed in and through this all is Hebrews 13 verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the work has changed. But the unchanging one is the one who governs us. Jesus Christ is always the same. And so I'm begging, pleading, praying, asking that we will continue to throw our anchor into the unchanging one, to find our revelation of Jesus, and out of that, let every ministry, every government, everything we do for him must never take the place of him. And it's so obvious, and it's such an obvious statement. But friends, if we're honest this morning, so quickly do we get back to the work at the expense of the one who matters all. And I've believed more and more than ever before that our Christology, our, our, our view of Jesus, a correct view of Jesus gives us a correct view of everything else. Everything else is skewed if our revelation and view of Jesus is wrong. We've said this many times. Our revelation, our Christology determines our missiology. And our missiology determines our ecclesiology. And our ecclesiology determines our eschatology. We have some end time people in this room, no doubt. And you've come alive through this season. This is it. Vaccines, plagues, death. The end is now. Maybe. But you have a wrong view of eschatology if you have a wrong view of Christology. Some of us in the room are all about mission, and I'm about mission, but your view of mission is wrong if you've got a wrong view of Jesus. There's many of us, all of us, because you're all pastors and elders in this room, you're all about the church, but your view of your church is wrong if your view of Jesus is wrong. So our revelation of Jesus, our Christology determines our missiology, our mission, and our mission determines the church And the church needs to view itself again as Jesus did. The church is not a waiting room for heaven. (laughs) You're in trouble because I went to I went to the gym this morning and it was closed. (laughs) So I went back to my room and I looked at my notes. And I said, Lord. Delete, delete, delete. Give me something else. So I don't know where we're going to go this morning, but we're going to have a lot of fun, and it's because the gym was closed, so blame the gym, all right? (laughs) What was I saying? (laughs) Yeah, that thing too. Oh, yeah, we need to view, we need just need to view the, the church the way Jesus views it. The church is not the goal of mission pastors. The church is not the goal of the mission. Church is the agent of mission. 
And of course, Jesus is coming back for his church, but the church is not the goal. It's not to get everyone into your church. It's to get the church functioning on mission because of our revelation of Jesus. And so I'm convinced the more we get that revelation of him, the correct view of Jesus, not a, not a Jesus of our culture, not the Jesus of our Sunday school, not the Jesus of the church, not the Jesus of our history, the Jesus of the Bible. Very different to the Jesus presented out there in the nations today. We've got to keep coming back to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And the more we know him, the overflow of those things will impact the view of how we view the things that we deem so very important. And so for me, the biggest lesson, and I confess it again and again, that he, the Lord, is more important than the work I get to do for him. And that work will continue to change. And you'll lead a church and you won't lead a church. You'll be an elder, you won't be an elder. Things will change and shift. And, and if your identity or you governed by what you do, you're in trouble every time there's a change. And change is here to stay. But one who doesn't change is Jesus Christ. So let's not offload that to our people without living that first in our own lives. Let's come back to that revelation because I think it matters most. Amen, you with me? That's for free now. This will charge. If you've got a Bible, please go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And here's what I want to say to you this morning, my dear friends. Well done. Well done. Are you listening? Well done. You made it. You're here. You're standing. You're smiling, some of you are. You seem to still be married. Your wife seems to be next to you. And your husband seems to be next to you. I'm not mocking. I want to tell you this. From God the Father to His people, well done. Well done, you're still here. Well done, you have led through, maybe badly, but led. No, I'm just, we've all, but you've led God's people and you've stayed the course through such crazy seasons that regardless of how old you are, we have not experienced something like this in our, in our lives. And we've got to acknowledge, well done, because let me tell you, many have quit and gone. Many. And I'm not here to throw rocks at them. I'm just here to say well done to you. In America, which you know I've been locked there for a few years now, so I'm just going to probably a lot of what I say is, is kind of influenced by where I've been ministering and living for the last little while. But let me just tell you what happens there. Unfortunately, whether you like it or not, does happen here too. I know you don't like to acknowledge it, but it does. And in the United States of America, through COVID-19 and through this crazy pandemic se season, 35,000 churches have shut down and will never open again. If you think about the numbers, that's millions of people. I don't know what that does to you, but I'm sure it does something of, Lord, what happened? And, and there's many reasons, perhaps, of what happened. And there are many lessons for us all of what not to do and what we can. But to me, the ultimate of what we've gone through in this season is simply this. We have been forced to move from position-led churches 
to call led churches. In a sense, whenever I do church planters training and I train people, I say this. Before you go plant a church, if there's anything else you can do, go do it. Anything else, go do it. And if you can come back to me and tell me there's nothing else I can do, well, then you truly are called to plant a church. No, Mark, you know this is true. And in a sense, in these last couple of years, everyone in this room has had the opportunity. Is there anything else you can go and do? And we've all thought about it. We've prayed about it. I've considered many other things. But we've come back to realize the reason we are here this morning is there's nothing else we can do. This is why God put us on this planet for this season. And so we've moved from having a position and carrying a position and being an elder or being on a team or to actually this is his call for me. What else can I do? And my friends, this morning, I want to tell you that's the greatest need and thing that can happen to the church of Jesus Christ is that the leaders are convinced by God himself through the test, I'm still here, there's nothing else I can do. And how many of you know that church can live in victory, can go through all seasons, can lead God's people into their glorious inheritance regardless of what still comes our way. So well done for not finding something else to do. And I don't point fingers at those who've gone because they found what they were supposed to do. Well done. And I mean that, well done. I mean that, well done. Phoning each other, what are you doing? I don't know what I'm doing. No one wanted it. I mean, we were anti-TV evangelists. Then we all became TV evangelists instantly. (laughs) Never wanted to be a TV evangelist. Suddenly everything we're doing is TV. And it was terrible. Some of, I've watched some of yours. You've, we've got better. Well done for trying at least. And listen, friends, there's some good that's come out of that, right? Because suddenly people who wouldn't listen are listening. But it's not to replace being together. Please hear that. There's a pressure on us now. This COVID-19 wasn't to get the church online. God didn't want us to get online. He wanted the church to get out of the building. Not online. So we don't have online church, and now we're all moving to online church. That's the beginning of the end of your church if you're online only. And my dad, I was telling the guys, the team yesterday, you know my dad. My dad is just, you know, my dad is my dad, and... uh, and I was calling him and saying, hey, Dad, I'm doing all this stuff around the world with Zoom, and it's been great. I mean, I'm more connected to the world, been sitting in my basement in Denver, Colorado, than I've been when I travel. It's awesome. I go into this place, no, no visas needed. I go there, no jet lag. It's awesome. And I mean, listen, it's a good tool, and we must utilize it going forward. I remember telling my dad, that he's like, that's so good, you know, that's great. Well done, boy. That's great. I could hear there's something he's not happy about. I said, What's it? what do you mean, Dad? <laughs> He says, you know, Tyron, do you think that Jesus knew the internet was coming? I'm like, of course, Dad. Jesus knows everything. He's God, all-knowing. Yeah. He said, well, that's good you know that. Okay, so do you, isn't it amazing how Jesus still had to leave heaven <laughs> to come to earth 
die on that cross, be raised from the dead, and then be released back into it. Isn't that amazing? Knowing the internet was there, he still had to come and do it. He had to do it. Are you listening? Are you listening? There's a generation rising up saying, we don't need to gather. We can do it all online. Never in God's economy is online going to do the job. And there's a pressure and a convenience and a culture being developed in the church. And while we can use some of that, that's not God's intention through this season. He is getting us to understand the need of each other, the getting together, but ultimately using all opportunities to reach people wherever we can. So utilize it, but don't replace what we see in the Bible. Even I said to the team yesterday, guys, we have to be in the regions, got to be with the people. Paul says, I long to be with you. He didn't just send a letter and say, hey, I hope you get it. I long to be with you so I can impart to you and make up what's lacking in your faith. Being with you, mutually encouraged. And I'm, not, I'm preaching to the converted because you're here this morning. But I'm asking as we go forward that you don't buy into the lie or the culture or the stuff. Convenient Christianity or something that we forced to take on when God says, my people be together. You're not wrong to still believe. That we need to gather. But gathering is not the mission. Gathering is part of why we get together. But there's a mission to the gathering. We've got to change gatherings and have purpose to our gatherings and not take our gatherings for granted. And those of us who are privileged to preach, we get a moment now to preach what you need to preach because you might not have it tomorrow. I've always been the one who puts it, okay, I'm going to preach it on Friday. There might not be Friday. Speak it now. Don't live in fear, but preach your message like it's your last. Can you imagine how effective we'd be if we actually preached every message like this could be the last message? A lot of our opinions would be out the door and the word of God would come through because we are preaching truth that matters. And we've all said, if Jesus come back and I was preaching, I've often thought about it, what would I be preaching when he came back? And I hope it's not, look how awesome I am and look how great my ministry is and who wants to be signing books with me and I want to make sure I'm pointing people to him. I want to make sure I'm speaking what he wants me to speak. I want to make sure I'm representing him fully. So it does just shift some of our focus. Not fear. And things are opening up and there's some normality. I don't know what even that means anymore. But I'm watching and listening and we're sort of getting back to what was. I'm begging under God, let's keep going with what God's called us. The lessons that have been learned, let's learn them and let's walk in them as we go forward. But well done. I mean that sincerely. Well done. You stayed the course, but there's much still to be done. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, says this. I know the whole Bible was written for all time. I get that. But it seems if you read Peter's letters, it's almost like Peter knew this was coming. I don't know. It's challenged me so much, these first and second Peter letters over the season, and they've been so strategic and vital for me personally, and I think for the council and the stuff I've been able to help other guys with, it's this letter, these letters were like prime for the season. <clears throat> Peter writes in first, uh, where, where are we, Said, uh, second Peter chapter one, verse three, it says, his divine power has given us everything we need 
for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So much truth in there. Everything we need. Not most of it, some of it, everything. Verse 4. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort. And when the Bible says make every effort, how many of you know we need to make a bit of an effort? Make every effort to add to your faith. Can I just pause for a moment and say this? Fear rises in the absence of faith. Fear rises in the absence of faith. Where there is no faith, there will only be fear. And I realize this has been a trying time, and I realize this has been a difficult time. And I want to just tell you there is fear that seems to have gripped many people, including the church including pastors and elders and church leaders. And I'm not here to point fingers at you and say, what's your problem? I'm saying, if you don't have faith, then you're gonna live by fear. Now, I'm not saying being silly. And listen, I wanna just not glorify COVID this morning. It's a real thing. I've had the down privilege of having it twice. No joke. Not honoring it. I thought it was a joke till I got it. I've lost family members with, who have got COVID. Not highlighting it, I'm saying it's real, be aware of it, but we cannot be living in fear. And the only way is not to stand up and say, don't be fearful, is to get faith. Because fear rises in the absence of faith. Not just COVID, all situations. The world's been rocked. Shakings are taking place more and more. I believe that is exactly what's happening in the world today. I've said this many times. I think in this season, if we can identify the season, then we can identify the reason. If we can identify the reason, then we know what to do in it and we want to learn the lessons in it. And I said, I've said this, I know where I've said, so forgive me what I'm, if you've heard me say this. I don't believe God sent COVID. Do you? I hope you don't, because if you do, you're wrong, but you can keep believing you're wrong. Sorry, that's a, you can believe it, that's fine. But I, I don't believe God said, I'm sending COVID. But what I do believe is that God allowed COVID. And how do I believe that? Because it happened. And we love to talk about Romans 8 and God turns all things to the good for those. Yeah, well, this is one of those things that God can take this crazy moment, crazy season, difficult, and turn it for the good. But he does it so things can shift and change. As I'm looking around, I think there are three major things happening. And you probably can see more, but I, I, I kind of think there are three major things happening right now around the world, around the world. Number one, God is shaking. And this is not the shaking because there's more shaking and shaking will continue till Jesus comes back. But there is a shaking that God's doing and we love to quote, anything that can be shaken will be shaken. Thank you, Jesus. But when we get shaken, we go, we don't like this. 
Hebrews 12 actually says there will be shaking and shaking and anything and everything that cannot be shaking. And then it says, so let us be thankful and, uh, and approach the throne for our God is a consuming fire. So here's the deal, friends. While I hate the shaking, I love what the shaking brings. I'm so grateful that this side of eternity, God will reveal what's not Him. So you and I who are leading are not wasting our time, our effort, our value, and our people and our lives and our resources into something we think is God till we get to heaven and realize it was a waste of time. I'm grateful that this side of eternity, he reveals something so you and I get to adjust this side of eternity, fix it, and come back to what really matters because I don't want to be part of something that can be shaken. I want to be a part of the kingdom, advancing the kingdom, the rule and reign where they cannot be shaken. Are you there? I hope you too. I'm sure you do. Otherwise, why are you pastoring people? So God is shaking. God doesn't just shake for the sake of shaking. I've always thought God shakes for the sake of bringing things down. And so I was always about the negative side of shaking. He shakes to bring things down. But God reminded me, I also shake to open things up. I also shake to break things up. I also shake to break in. <laughs> he wants to break in a whole lot more than what he's broken in before. But we've been so busy doing church rather than realizing the need for Jesus and God to be amongst us. I really believe he wants in. He wants his church back and he wants in his church rather than we have a Wednesday night meeting for those who want the Holy Spirit stuff. He shakes to break things open. Now we, uh, we love the God of the door opener, the door opener. Book of Revelation speaks about four doors. One door he says that I open doors that no man can shut. Come on, we love that. Guaranteed. You can do what you want. That door's never going to close because no one can shut it. Ha, we love that. Same God who closes, opens doors is the same God who closes doors. He's not just the door opener, he's the door closer. And he said, I close doors that no man can open. And we blame the devil for what God said he would do. So now we're praying and fasting in this season. Come on, Lord, open up those doors. Come on, God, get the devil out of there. And the Lord's like, I close some doors through this season in order to open some other doors. But if you're so focused on opening the doors that have been closed, which will never open because no man can open the doors he closes. How about looking around for the doors he's opened in this season? Shake to open. Shake, close doors. Then the other door we see in the, book, in the book of Revelation is, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Now that he opens other doors and he closes doors. The only, only door he can't open is the door of our hearts. 
an evangelist, and we all talk about that to the lost. It's not. He's talking to the church. I'm knocking at your door. I want intimacy with you. Open your heart. That door I can't open without you opening it for me. I've never met a pastor or a person following Jesus who said to me, Tyron, if only I had more time, I would spend it with Jesus. And you know what happened? We had more time. In one smack, the whole world had more time for some time. Without stepping on your toes, but let's step on each other's toes. How many of us who said, if only I had more time, actually made more time? Or had more time with him? Got busy watching Netflix or downloading sermons or... And I'm not mocking, it's part of the work. Remember the work of the Lord? I get it, but I want to tell you this, it's not a time thing, it's a priority thing. Whatever is priority, that's what we make time for. <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Keep that door open to him. Close to everything else, but open to him. And then the other door we see, and I know it's many, a lot of ramifications to that door, but it's the door of heaven. I, the door of heaven above you. I, 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 the door of heaven. As I looked up, I saw open heaven. I feel like, again, friends, without trying to be weird about it, I feel like we have the backing of heaven if we're doing what God's called us to do. It's not just the money. We, it's everything needed when we're doing what God's called us to do. We've got to lead with the backing of heaven. Knowing God's got this, not who's left, who's with us, who's still giving, who's tithing. Matters, I understand this. But God says, the resources of heaven for my people who are doing what I call them to. Shaking. Now listen, shaking's hard enough. But at the same time of the shaking, there's other things happening. At the very same time of the shaking, I believe the devil's raging. He's raging while God's shaking. He's raging. First Peter chapter 5, it says that, he, that he, he comes around like a prowling lion. No joke, right? We're in Africa. Like I tell the Americans, because there's this thing of, you know, Jesus, uh, devil's like a mouse with a megaphone. He really hasn't got anything to say. And I'm not here to glorify him. I'm just telling he's a lot more than a mouse with a megaphone. Because I've encountered a lion, not close by, but close by in a car already. And I'm telling you, a lion just looks at me and goes, ooh. Not even, just, woo. well, I'm done. Kill me now. I mean, we all think we're hunters till we see a lion, right? And then suddenly it's like, whoa. Why? Intimidation, fear. Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for those he can devour. Not a mouse with a megaphone, he's real and he's raging and he's raging and he's using God's people to rage against each other. <laughs> he's a dog. He will use anyone and mostly he'll use the people in our church to divide the church and then he'll use people and pastors and leaders going against each other, playing into the very hand of the devil thinking we're doing the good thing rather than we're defiling. You know, friends, we have a common enemy and it's not each other. And it's not those people out there. 
and it's not your government, and it's not the things we don't like. It's powers and principalities and rulers who are not people. It's not flesh and blood, yet we fight each other by the devil's doing of take out each other and online stuff and destroying each other online. It's amazing. I'm just being honest. Please stop. Get off social media if that's what's needed, and I'm off it. Some are offended because I haven't commented on all the stuff going on. I have no comment. Go to the Lord. I said to the guys yesterday, I felt the Lord say, go pray before you post. Note, you don't post when you pray. I said that uh, social media might not have enabled the lame to walk, but it's absolutely enabled the dumb to speak. That's true. And some of us, again, I'm not trying to be bad, just stop fighting each other. There's a raging going on right now. The devil's seething. He's raging. And he's, God's shaking. We're going at it at each other. We have a kingdom. There's no way we can advance the kingdom without opposition. But we need to be unified. And stop contending against it. I remember when I was leading a church, I planted the church in Denver. And I remember my sons, when I drive to Sunday in the mornings, Nicole and I would drive separately. It's a good idea to do that, just so you're on Sunday mornings. And I would drive, and Joel or Josh sometimes would go with me, and they always say, Dad, what are you preaching today? Jesus. I know Jesus, but what are you going to preach? And I remember one day saying to them, I'm preaching on how to kill the church. I remember Josh, his eyes were like, what? Why would you preach on how to kill the church? Because exactly how to kill the church is... The devil will use people in the church to kill the church. We've got to know how to kill the church because if we are aware of it, he takes people and he gets people within to take the thing down. He's got God shaking, that's bad. The devil, shake, uh, the devil raging, that's bad. And at the same time, you've got the sin of ma- people, people sinning. Oh man, whenever I say man, women think you're off the hook. People are sinning. People are sinning like never before. The sin of people's been exposed daily in our governments, in our countries. COVID-19 has exposed many loyalties the church has had to many things other than Jesus. Sin is exposed even in the church, and it's almost like most people today don't care. So what? Another politician. So what? Another pastor. So what? Another leader. So what? Another church. So what? And it's a big what? God cares. And so it's into that very context. Man sinning, devil raging, God shaking, we find ourselves ministering. We need to know, be aware. And so into this thing of fear, hard. People gonna leave, are people coming back? Do we have money? Are we gonna be able to pay? Real things, I understand, friend. But when you begin to lose faith, you begin to carry fear. Fear rises in the absence of faith. And faith is not a feeling. And I don't believe faith is a promise. 
I mean, faith is a person. The author and perfecter of our faith being Jesus Christ. Faith in Him, not faith in your preaching. Faith in Him, not faith in your ministry. Faith in Him, not faith in NCMR. Faith in Him and Him alone. That's where our anchor of our soul is, and that's the faith we need. Come back to that, uh, Hebrews 12. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Verse 5 again, let's go back there. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Do you see those things? Add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Make every effort to add that to your faith. Pretty directional. Verse 8. For if you possess these qualities, again, can I stop and say this? We cannot pass on what we don't possess. Hey, we need the next generation to catch this. We need to tell them, no, no, they catch what you've got, not what you say. We need our people in our church to just catch this. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to catch. You can't pass on what you don't own, possess. We possess these qualities in an increasing measure. They will keep you from being ineffective. And unproductive. Some of the most gross words in the Bible for me are those. I cannot, it's probably the biggest insult to tell me you're ineffective or unproductive. I'd rather be challenged on other things. But to be told you're ineffective or unproductive. Come on guys, we don't want to be that surely. We're not called to be ineffective and unproductive. In what? In your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted. Now again, that's another insult. I don't want to be nearsighted in leadership. He is nearsighted and blind. Well, let's just move on. And has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers... Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fall. And you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Now, I know that means many things. I realize that. But I'm speaking this morning just about this effective leadership, but understanding the testing of our calling. So uh, Eugene Peterson's version, uh, the message says, So friends, confirm God's invitation to, to you, His choice of you. Confirm His choice of you. Now, you've stayed, you're here, you've made it so far. But you've got to settle this. He chose you. You didn't put your hand up and say, pick me, coach. Confirm His choice of you. You choose chosen by Him. 
We have to believe that. I don't understand it. There's way more gifted, way more anointed, way more people who could do a way better job than most of us, certainly than me in what I'm doing. But I've come to realize He chose me. What will I do with that? Apologize? Make excuses? Look to everyone else to do what He called me to? Or simply say, yes, Lord. I want to confirm your choosing of me. It means to be eager to do something, these words, with calling. With the implication of readiness to expend energy and effort, to be eager, eagerness, devotion. Make sure, meaning that that which is known with certainty, are you certain? Have you made sure with certainty, known to be true, certain, and verified, or well, you've been verified through the season. Stamp of approval. Or not inside, outside, so all can see. Not woe is, look at me. No, no, but I'm doing what God's called me to do. Calling. That word calling has urgent, it's, it's to urgently invite someone to accept responsibility for a particular task implying a new relationship to the one who does the calling, to call to a call to a task. I'm going to just say, guys, a call is an urgent appeal from God himself. You weren't recognized by man. We didn't recognize you and lay hands on you. You were called by God. By God alone. By God. A call is an urgent appeal from God himself. It's a big deal because it's a big deal and important job to God. It's a big job to him. It's important to him. Then it must be important to us. It's an invitation, as I said, to accept responsibility for a particular task. It's an invitation that implies a new relationship to the one calling. And again, back to this. He calls us to him before he calls us for him. It's like the lesson we've got to keep learning is that he always brings us to him and our relationship changes with him for it. So we get to minister for him and reflect him. Life-giving ministries. I realize the pressure more and more on pastors and preachers to come up with the next and the greatest and the latest. I realize that, especially through this. I want to just say this. God does want to reveal. God does want to show. God does want us to know. Ignorance is not bliss. But if you're only going to God every time you need a revelation or a download, you've got a warped relationship with the one who's called you. And I understand the pressure. Trust me, I'm under pressure this week to come with the next and the greatest and the best. But what I've realized is I have an unhealthy relationship with God as a preacher if I go to Him when I need to preach. If I go to Him for direction, always only. Think about that in the natural. My son's sitting here, Joel, my oldest son. Imagine Joel every time he sits with me at the table saying, Dad, what do you want to tell me? What do you want me to know? What do you want to tell me? I need, I'd be like, what is wrong with you, son? What are you talking about? Well, I've made time. You need to tell me. I'm like, tell me what? 
I'm like, something's wrong. If I have something to say, I'll say it. But just don't we hang out because I'm your dad and you're my son? Are you listening? I can't wait to go back to Australia and see my dad. I've tried a few times. It's been shut down. But God willing, I can get there now in August. But when I finally sit with my dad, even if we have to wear masks, I don't know what we're going to have to do. But I'm going to sit there and not go, Dad, I'm here. Is there something you want to tell me before I go? My dad will be, what is wrong with you? If I have something to say, I'll tell you. If not, we just get to hang. How many of you believe that's still strategic when it comes to your walk with him? I want to suggest, and some of you won't like what I'm about to say, that you put aside some of your prep and you just sit at the feet of your father. And if he has something to say, he says it. And if he doesn't, you're still not wasting your time. You will come out of that and be far more effective in any ministry. And he'll give you the words to say when you preach. And it won't be a download from heaven. It will be life-giving to everyone because you've connected in relationship to your father. This becomes way more bearable and way more fun, not to get to the end result, but to enjoy the journey. I mean, I'm jumping all over the show here, so that's good, because we don't have to get to my nose. Here's the one I want to, listen, I've been challenged many times. This, this season has challenged a lot in me. And again, I just phoned my dad at times and said, Pops, give me what, Dad, you let in see him. I goes, yeah, but not through a pandemic. God will show you, Tyrant. I'm like, yeah, but just to go, go to God. <laughs> Easier going to you, Dad. And that is the challenge. It is easier to go to someone rather than him. You know, there was a tragic moral failure, one of many, in the U.S. And I heard a story of an Indian pastor from India, in India, who called one of the pastors in America and he was weeping, he was grieved, more grieved about what happened to that guy than most Americans. And he said, you know, the problem with you guys in America, the Western church, is that the majority of Christians in America would rather go to the man of God than go up the mountain themselves to be with God themselves. Rather go to Moses to hear what God's saying rather than go up the mountain to God ourselves, which we all have the privilege of going to. It's easier to go to someone who can hear God for you than go actually hang out with God yourself. But you're negating the very thing Jesus did on the cross when he separated that curtain from top to bottom and made way for all of us. Now, I know I'm talking to preachers and pastors, but your people should not go to you and not go to God. It's easier to sit with the pastors and give me a selfie and I've been with the man of God. Go up the mountain to God himself and you become the man of God. One mediator, Jesus Christ, not pastors and elders. I think we've got to get people back to their relationship. And if anything, we've learned again, another lesson to this is the church has been forced to mature like never before. I think globally the church has matured. We might not be as big. We might have lost some people on the way. Might not look as good as we think it should. But I'm telling you, maturity has come. People have been forced to go to God because their pastors were not available and not allowed to see them for a while. And that's a good thing when people go to God rather than just run to leadership. Doesn't mean we don't have a role to play. It means God has a bigger role. 
I'll say to the guys yesterday, I've been studying a bit of church history. Dare do that. I want to learn. <laughs> Amazing when you look at the founding generations who start these movements from God. Not, hey, I want to start a revolution. Can I just say this? If you start anything out of a revolution or out of a reaction, God will not honor it. God's not about revolution. Jesus didn't come to start a revolution. His disciples wanted him to start a revolution. He had nothing to do with the revolution. He could have overthrown the government like that. He could have taken out Caesar and the Romans. And let me tell you, the Romans destroyed the Jews. They treated them worse than any government on this planet right now. They didn't try and overthrow. They didn't vote out. Jesus said, my kingdom can operate under any other kingdom. We're not going to be like them. We'll be like me. When they cut the ear off that man who came to arrest Jesus, when they were, and Jesus healed these ears, said, we don't do that. Man, the church could hear that today. We don't fight them. Jesus could have said, really, when he sat with Caesar, who are you truth? Are you, what, no, what do you think? Let me show you. Boom, all these people calling for Barabbas. Boom, you're all dead. Now what do you think? He could have, right? He's Jesus. But he didn't. He let them decide. And he said, you're not taking my life. I give you my life. No one takes anything. I give it to you. Very different to the world today. Oh, now he's in victory, so now we must overcome with voting and killing and pulling. No, no. The power of the Lord. Very different to what we see here. When his people were destroying him, he said, we can still. They were forbidden to worship. They were paying taxes. They were doing all that. And he didn't want to overthrow. He said, no, no, this kingdom will be like nothing here on earth. I'm bringing another kingdom with a different way. We've got to live this, friends. We've got to lead like this. We've got to understand this more and more. And I don't know why I was saying all that. What was I saying? Jockey, wake up, bro. What was I saying? Okay, great. We'll move on. Thank you. Oh, yes, yes. What? Calling. Okay, so um, just let me say this. So I was recently... So over this time, I was saying, Lord, honestly, like, where were the prophets? If you're a prophet, where were you? <laughs> Lord, where were the prophets? Surely the prophets. Why didn't they tell me about COVID? Why didn't they tell me about the election and how wrong we got it in our great nation? Why didn't this, and I'm blaming the prophets in a prayer meeting, and I remember God saying to me, where were you? <laughs> Seriously. Me? I'm not a prophet. Where were you, Tyrant? And then I thought, God, take me to John chapter 15. Dare read that text again. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain. But he goes on and says, Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servant. I now call you friend. And then he tells us why. Because a servant does not know his master's business. But I have revealed to you everything my Father has revealed to me. And I honestly was so challenged. I wasn't leading that premium. I had to stop that premium. I said, going into this next season, we need to shift our pivot shift from being just servants. And we are servants. And we will always be servants. And Jesus is always our master. But we also need to understand he calls us friends. And he wants us to know What's happening? And he has access, and we have access as friends. 
Because he wants us to be aware of the master's business, not guessing our way through this, waiting for the prophets to hopefully get it right. And just so you know, prophets only, uh, prophets, prophets only prof- prophesy in part. Don't forget that. Secondly, that prophet, prophetic words should always be linked to the purpose of God, not just a promise of God. So if we're running with the promises of God at the expense of the purpose of God, it's probably going to affect us and take us out of the will of God rather than contend us and point us to the will of God. And we need prophets, and we have them in this room, and we praise God for them, and I have them on our team, but their job's not to hear God on our behalf. You go back to the Old Covenant, come to the New Testament. Their job is to help confirm what we believe God's called us to, and their job is to help us learn to hear God for ourselves. And I want to tell you, pastors, you have the ability yourself to hear God without waiting for the prophets to tell us. Every believer in the church should have that heart, but certainly us who are leading God's people. I believe going forward, we should be less surprised going forward if we've moved and shifted our position from servants, give me your orders, to friend, tell me the secrets of heaven. Everybody loves to Google everything. How about going to God's heart for some things? I'm telling you, the more you go to him, the more he'll reveal what he's doing so we know how to operate in what he's doing in this season. He calls us to him. Calls us to him. So just since I'm talking about prophets, there's a guy in our ranks named Ken Grenfell. Some of you heard me say this, but I'm trying to go somewhere this morning. Trying is the word. Ken Grenfell, one of my friends, good guy, in 2019, uh, November 2019, so I mean, hindsight is great. A lot of guys say, I knew this was coming, but they never said it. In 2019, in November 2019, I was pre- we were preaching, we had an equip in Toronto, uh, Canada, and I was preaching there, and I, was, I really felt God begin to challenge me again, that we as a, as a t- churches need to contend for prayer again. It's like we added prayer meetings onto our meetings or we tag them on pre-Sunday meetings. I've been to those meetings, trust me. All we do is pray for the Sunday meeting, nothing else. And so we, I felt the Lord say we need to stop praying, get back to prayer as in churches and don't add it on. I know people are real busy, but rather can your Sunday meeting than your prayer meeting. No one would ever do that, but try that. Quick to get rid of the prayer meeting, but Sunday, Never. That's the main game. Where's that in the Bible again? Prayer is essential. Tyron, show me in the Bible. Show me in the New Testament. I get that everywhere. If you can show me one prayer gathering in the New Testament, I'll believe you. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. We go through it all. They prayed. Who prayed? Men and women and children, not just the apostles. In actual fact, Acts chapter 12 is probably the greatest, I think, prayer meeting of all. Peter and John were locked up in prison, but the church, not the apostles, not the team, not the pastors, the church was earnestly praying. Knock at the door of the prayer meeting. Rhoda goes to open the door and there stands Peter and John. Stop praying, Peter and John. 
They're over there. What is wrong with you, Rhoda? They're in prison. We're praying. How can it be there? It must be their ghosts. They're angels. I mean, they would rather think an angel than the very answer to their prayer. For me, I keep reading that going, you don't even have to have faith to pray. Just pray and God will do what he said he would do. I want to tell you, friends, we need prayer. You want the, we all look at the book of Acts and go, oh, we long for that stuff and we wish we could. Well, I want to tell you, lack of prayer, lack of power. It's not earned, but we realize weakness leaning on omnipotence. So I began to say, we need to get back to some praying and prayer, prayer. And so the next morning, Ken Grenfell comes to me and he says, you know, Tyrone, I had a dream. I'm like, oh, another dream. What? Well, tell me the dream. And he says, well, I was driving this vehicle full of people. I was driving it to a prayer meeting that NCMI was hosting. So I'm like, yeah, there's my confirmation of my preach. And he said, I offloaded all the people at the prayer meeting and I went to park my vehicle. And then I started walking towards the prayer meeting and then I realized I'd left my Bible and my notes in my vehicle. And so I went back to my vehicle, but my vehicle was gone, disappeared. And he said, I was pretty angry because my Bible was gone and my notes were in my Bible, they were gone. And as I turned to walk back to the prayer meeting, I saw the Bible lying on the gutter, lying on the sidewalk, lying, and I picked it up and, I, and you all came out of the prayer meeting and said, hey, where you been? You missed this prayer meeting. And he said, I woke up, 2019 November. He said, I woke up and here's what I believe. He said, that vehicle represents ministry and the church. It was taken and disappeared for a season. Come on now. Oh yeah, of course. 2019. Stone the false prophet. Before we knew anything about this craziness and before anything was shut down, it was disappeared, taken from us. And he said, what I believe God's saying going forward is that it's going to require substantial prayer because I'm on the way to a prayer meeting and it's going to require the Word of God because it's what I found on the way. Not my notes, not my sermons, God's Word. And I always praise God. You see that, guys? We need to pray and we need to get back to the Word of God. Never even read it till 2021. And I went back and read it and I realized we were told, disappeared, vehicle gone. So I dead phoned this guy. I said, let me ask you, did you know about COVID? Did you know we were going to get shut down? He said, no, of course not. I said, thank you for being honest. I don't know what to make of that, but what I want to make of is coming out of this season, it's the word of God and prayer alone. Oh, Tyron, we need more. We need that, nothing else. Now, let me just kind of talk quickly for a moment about the prayer. I mean, I think we all know how to pray. I think we, we've probably relearned how to pray. I'm amazed how prayer meetings have begun everywhere again. Online, Zoom line, here line, let's pray here. Because suddenly we are in trouble and we need God. America is praying again. The churches are praying again. We have prayer meetings everywhere again. But here's what's happening in our prayer meetings. We're telling God what he needs to do. Okay, God, it's time. Open the doors. Open my business. Let the government leave us alone. We want to meet. Get rid of these masks. Get rid of the vaccine. You can heal me. You can. It's time. Now we've learned our lesson, God. Open up. 
we repent, we're sorry, now open up. Seriously. I mean, how many believe that's one-sided prayer? That's not prayer. That's us telling him what to do. <laughs> See, I believe prayer must be dialogue, not monologue. I've always been taught, Tyron, take your, uh, your prayer list and go before God every morning and pray it through. I pray for my wife, I pray for my sons, I pray for breakthrough in this. And whenever you get breakthrough, delete it or tick it off and then it gives you faith to pray for the next. And listen, that's not wrong, but what I've realized is that's my list. That's me telling him what to do. I've realized that actually I need to probably get on my knees and ask God to give me a new list. Give me your list, God. Because prayer originates in your heart, not the things I want, what do you want? I wonder when last we had a prayer meeting that actually was what God wanted rather than what we want God to do. What do you want, God? So I'm just saying the part of the prayer thing that he's calling us to is not us telling him, it's him and us dialoguing together, God revealing, God showing, God explaining, God showing, God telling us, and us asking God to back what he said he would do. That's personal, that's for your local church, that's for us as a team, that's for the nations, that's for the regions. What do you want to do, God? What are you doing, God? And let me tell you, when you begin to ask that, a lot of what we've gone through makes a lot more sense when you don't just blame the devil for this or your government for this, but you can see God doing some stuff in this and you go, okay, I don't like this, but I see it. Frustration shifts. You begin to say, okay, God, I want to get through this, but I also don't want to get out of it. I want to get through it so we can walk in what is. Prayer and the Word of God. There's not a person in this room who would say we're not about the Bible. Bible, absolutely, 100%. We are all Bible. Bible plus nothing, Bible minus nothing. That's NCMI. That's our value. And I'm telling you, it's a good value. It's a good heart, but it's not always true. Because sometimes we begin to add to the Bible or take away from the Bible or have learned some lessons that are better than the Bible. That work better certainly seems like better results than what we did when we had the Bible. What I've realized in this season again, friends, the greatest threat to the word of God is not those who directly oppose it. There's a greater threat to the word of God. It's those who claim to believe it, but are ignorant to what it really says. We're challenged by that. I'm challenged by that. I've got some great ideas, some great thoughts, some great ways. But I want to be biblical at every level because God's not watching over what I think or what I want and he's just showing that he's not committed to your and my dream. He's not. He's committed to his purpose. 2020, we planned, God prevailed. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the purposes of God that prevail. We're going to keep coming back to the plans, the purposes of God. And that's what I believe the, will, the Word of God is, not just the promises of God, it's the purposes of God. 
I think that we can get so busy. And friends, I'm not judging hard. I'm challenging what we're about. So going forward, let's do what the Bible says we're called to do. Let's not begin to embrace all the other add-ons to the Bible at the expense of the Bible. And then we claim to be Bible at every level, only to find when it's all shaken, it's gone. I think the Bible has always been under attack, but more so than ever, the pressure on us right now is put aside your word and give us a prophetic word. Tell us how awesome we are. Come and tell us how to get through this. Rather than bring us back to the purposes of God. Without God's purpose, the promises make no sense. Without God's purpose, preaching is irrelevant. Without God's purpose, partnership is irrelevant. Why do we need a partner if we're not about the purpose of God? We got this, God. We know what we're doing. We don't need each other. We're good enough on our own. But when you understand the purposes of God, you go, I can't do this alone. I need to be part of the local church because God hasn't called me to do it alone. And suddenly I need to be there, not because my pastor wants me there or the leaders need me there, because God's put me there because I can't serve His purpose without being connected locally. Suddenly it's not like I'm going to lay in bed and watch online. I need to be there. Why? Purpose. Suddenly our church can be 10,000 people, still too small for the purposes of God. Therefore, I need to connect translocally to a gift and people, even if I don't like all of them, which they don't like all of you. It has nothing to do with like. It's understanding purpose. And if purpose is what we're about, we can function so well together in our diversity and our differences and different understandings and different makeup and different giftings, different history, different culture. But together for purpose, we need each other. But when you put purpose aside, what's the point? My way, I want to do it my way. So for me personally, I've gone back to the Bible to realize the Bible actually is about the will of God. Many things, but actually the purpose of God is revealed through the Word of God. And when purpose is what we're going after, everything else makes sense. If promise is what you're going after, it'll never make sense. I think that's something of finding the Word of God in the gutter and bringing it out and putting aside our sermons and going, what does the Bible actually say? Not laws, not rules, not principles. Truth revealed, pattern from heaven for the purposes and the plans of God. Bible plus nothing, Bible minus nothing, not just a value a reality, otherwise what are we doing? I know there's nothing new here this morning, but friend, what will you do with what God says in his word? When others are telling us we don't want to believe that, that's not going to fly in 2022 in South Africa right now. You need to change it if you want us to stay. What will you do? You need to stop talking about that one and I'll stay. 
I, I think there's an absence of the Spirit in a lot of what the church is doing today globally. And I want to tell you it's because of the ignorance of the Word of God from most leaders or the position of we don't understand Him, so we'll just put Him aside, called the Holy Spirit. You know, the Trinity, I mean, it's hard to get your head around the Trinity. I get it too. Trinitarian God, how does it work? And it's like someone said, if you try and explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you don't believe the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. We are, well, know the Trinity. Your people do not. I've got statistics. Hopefully I can read to you when I get to the Holy Spirit subject of recently of 6% of American, and I know it's America, but fortunately, unfortunately, there is a similar here. Churches, people, of 2,000 people in September 2021, 2,000 people were questioned about truth and word. And of, anyway, 6% of the 100% who were interviewed said this. This is churchgoers, church attenders. This wasn't like 10 years ago. This was three months, four months, whatever, six months ago. What is your take on the Holy Spirit? 6% believe the Word of God. The rest of it. So what is, sorry, my numbers. What's, what's 94%? 94%. Jet lag, I can still say that. 94% of those who were interviewed, church attenders from all different denominations, do not believe that the Holy Spirit is real and exists today. Oh, those Americans. <laughs> you, sir and man, what about you? Well, we believe. What do your people believe? Well, we don't really talk about it because don't understand it. You know what? If the Holy Spirit was not God, we would have the privilege of choosing whether we want this optional extra for deluxe Christianity. <laughs> we present the Holy Spirit as a blessing from God, and that's okay then if we don't want that blessing. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit is not a blessing from God. He is God. What will we do with God the Holy Spirit? Mm, God the Father, we love that. Jesus the Son, God the Son, awesome. Of course, it's all about Him. God the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure. Sideline, you wait there, we'll work it out. And then we have... Christians who have no idea that the Holy Spirit is real because we're dead scared to go there. Word of God, pretty clear. Not an optional action. In actual fact, the early church could not function without the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his church, his disciples, and they had already received authority. They had authority. They already received the Holy Spirit. I believe everyone has the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have everyone. They already had received the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit plays a major role in our salvation. But they needed to wait for power. Jesus said, your authority is not enough. What I've called you to do is going to require power, not from within, not from without, not from the Word of God, from the Holy Spirit. So wait and do nothing. Because apart from him, you cannot do what I've called you to. He says that in Acts chapter 1. So it happens is they're worshiping and Acts chapter 2 happens. What was prophesied happened. 
while they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit comes. Everyone in that room, note that, all who were there, not the few in the front, not the chosen frozen, not the anointed one, every person in that room filled. And the exact response was worshiping God. Jesus didn't say when you receive power, you're going to worship God. The fruit of power of the Holy Spirit was not, wow, you're awesome, gee, I need your gifting, was God is awesome. What the world to say God is awesome, power is needed. And what I want to say is it's interesting how things began to happen. And everyone saw that there's something different about those dudes. What happened in the church spilled out into the streets. Not for the church, it's for people. And the best they could come up with is these men must be drunk. Something's different, they're drunk. I'm empowered by the Spirit, but I'm exactly the same as everyone else. You're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Something must be different. They said, they must be drunk. And I love that they didn't leave it like that. Some of us love to leave. Ah, they're just crazy. They're not saved. They don't understand. Doesn't matter. Let's act. And we're putting people off. He stands up. Peter stands up. John, who stood up? Peter stood up. And he clarified what's happening. Do you hear this? We need to clarify this to our people so the world can see it. We need some sanity in this. And he stood up and he said, friends, or not friends, whatever, people, (laughs) these men are not drunk as you perceive. It's only 9 a.m., which clearly was a thing then because today is not a thing. (laughs) These men are not drunk as you perceive. It's 9 a.m., And then what does he do? He begins to unpack a prophetic word of Joel the prophet. Prophesied. There was a backing of what's happening from the word of God. You want more of your people to walk in more of what God has for them? We need a backing. Don't just presume people know. Don't just say they'll learn, they'll get over it. He didn't just let them believe they were drunk. He got up and he confirmed this was prophesied. In the last days, my father said, oh, the, the, God, the, the Lord will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will have vision. No, what? yeah, one of those. Other way around. But note this, it goes on and says, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The purpose of the outpouring is not to walk around with power. Always for the harvest. Always for salvation. God's about the harvest. Again, not new. What will we do with God the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I don't believe that means that wherever the Spirit is, there's freedom, because the Spirit's right here, and let's be honest, however many hundred people in this room, we're not all free. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. And most people are not free. Why? It's not where He is, it's where He's yielded to as Lord. You've got to yield to him as Lord in order to be free. 
I know that some of you love this and some of you are like, I'm not sure. I understand it, but we've got to get comfortable with the Word of God. We've got to get comfortable with the Holy Spirit, God. We've got to realize He's not here to mess it up. He's here to lead us on. Church planting cannot happen without the role of the Holy Spirit. A mission is irrelevant if it's all about words, without signs, wonders, and miracles. It's in the Bible, and God wants His church back, and it's not going to be through evangelists or Ephesians 4 gifting. It's through all God's people. The church needs to function with power and presence again. I began to put a sermon together on the signs of a spiritful church. Because I've heard a lot of guys. I've been born, I mean, 50, uh, 50 years been on this planet. I know I look 25, but I'm actually double that. <laughs> and I've grown up in, and I've heard so many things about the Holy Spirit. I mean, listen, I've heard, what a, what a, it's something good, something incredibly unhelpful. I've experienced some stuff. I've seen stuff. I remember my dad preaching at times, and literally people, uh, um, what, what do you call it? Uh, levitating. Not that he, he would preach the way and they were levitating and he would have to deal with that stuff. And it wasn't like make it happen. The authority, the I've seen stuff. I've seen people and I've seen some other stuff that's flesh. I've seen it. I've been put in a line and pushed over by the evangelist. I have, I'm just telling you. And I'm like, if I don't fall, this guy's not gonna move on. So let me just, and I'm not mocking, I'm not mocking. But I would. I'd stand there and look back. Is someone going to catch me? All right. <laughs> Bring your blanket and put it over me, please. <laughs> so in my heart, I'm like, it's a game. I, I'm not going to play a game. Eventually, you can push me till you want. I'm not going to fall. And I was going up and someone would say, hey, Tyron, come back to you. The Lord, the Lord said, touch you. And I'd be like, oh, here we go. Walk up and boom, before I get there, I'm gone. I'm on the floor. That was God. I don't know what your experience has been, but let me tell you, while we get to experience the Holy Spirit, He's not an experience. It's God. Maybe you can't trust the people who have ministered, but you can trust God, the Holy Spirit. You can trust him with your church, even if there's been bad teaching. He is God. So I did go back just to the book of Acts and look, okay, what would the spiritual, biblically, because remember the gutter and picking up and he found the Bible. So what does the Bible have to say about a spiritual church? And I mean, there's many, I'm sure, but I began to look, what I realized more and more, that a spiritual church has his presence. Notice, not presence, not atmospheres, His presence. I separate presence from power because most people want power without His presence. I want His presence first. And I believe a spiritual church carries His presence, not just power. I know that is controversial, but I've been thinking more and more. What would a church look like if it was built to attract God, not just man? Would I dare say it looks very different to the church globally today? I know people have challenged me and said, well, we're here to reach people. Yes, we are. But what are we reaching if it's through the tricks? Through the 
great facilities and the smoke machines and nothing wrong with those things, but they're atmospheres and whenever pressure comes, those people are gone thinking they've encountered the Spirit when it's been a Spirit, not His Spirit. And we love, and I love the omnipresence of God, right? God is everywhere. We don't have to ask God to be here because God's everywhere. Theologically, the Bible teaches us He's everywhere. If I go to the highest mountain, He's there. If I go to the depths of the earth, He's there. He's everywhere. You can't run away from Him. Remember that? Oh, I'm comfortable with that because while He's everywhere, I don't really have to do anything with Him. So omnipresence, you bet. But then I read the Bible and I see that God is about His manifest presence. Oh, now we're in trouble. Not God is everywhere, God is here. So my question is, what will we do with God is here? Ignore Him? Not sure, people don't like this. This is kind of harsh. This is kind of giving back His church to Him. Friends, God is here. While He's everywhere, He's here. And if you read through Scripture, you see even in the beginning, God seems to be, they're not in, they're not in competition with omnipresence and manifest presence, but it does seem that God emphasizes manifest a lot more than omnipresent. In the Garden of Eden, God is there. In redemption, Jesus coming to earth, incarnate, God is here. Book of Revelation, God is here. And I know we love God, I know that, but I want to ask you, do people know God really is with us? See, the church was designed for the presence of God. Not to be added on, tagged on, it's His presence. Even the old covenant, we know that um, Moses, remember when Moses was told, you're going to go, and he said, nope, nope, I'm not going anyway. I'm not going anyway. If your presence does not go with me. It's your presence that distinguishes us as your people. It's your presence that distinguishes us from all other people. Old covenant. The church is designed for the presence of God. And while we do believe in omnipresence, we also need to acknowledge manifest presence. God is here. God is with us. God wants to reveal himself to his people and through his people to the world out there. I've used this illustration. We've got 15 minutes and we'll have coffee, all right? So can you hang in for 15 minutes? I've used this illustration many times being in Australia when I lived there. And if you've been to Australia, it's an incredible place, I think. I haven't heard the rugby, cricket and rugby scores. So I think you're still happy. I think you're winning everything probably. But I'm American, so it doesn't matter anymore. But, but if you go visit Australia, if you, all the major cities are on the beach, on the coast. Beautiful cities. and be, But then there's this big place called the Outback. It's pretty dismal, dead, and not much happening. But that's where the cattle is raised in Australia. 
And if you go to Australia and look at the cattle farms, you'll find that they are endless miles of open space with very few fences. If you ask a cattle farmer in Australia, why is it that you've got all these animals and endless miles of open space, but all your animals stick together? They'll tell you their job is not to put up fences. Their job is to dig for fresh water. Wherever there is fresh water, while the animals will roam, they will always come back to drink for fresh water. God wants to bring people from far and wide. And it's not about a competitiveness, but they, want to, they can drive past 1,000 churches to come to your church. Not because God's not everywhere, because God is here. What will you do with God, the Holy Spirit? Spiritful church has his presence, has his presence. Now we have his presence, but I believe this season God's wanting to break in more and show and reveal. How many of you know, when people connect with God, pandemics can come, shakings can come, and you're not gonna lose those people. Why? Because they're connected to God, not to you. Surely that's what we want. I believe it's always been on the agenda of God, but more so now. And the challenge for us, guys, is we're going forward. We're going to come across people who deny this, tell us you can't have this. If you stop, if you stop preaching this, I'm leaving. Choose who you will please. We know how it goes, pleasing them. But I'm telling you, God has got a people who are serious about his presence. This nation in Africa, you've experienced some stuff. I mean, we're in a first world context where, you know, they deny. Somebody said, I think Philip Yancey said this, a, a, a society that denies the supernatural always ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. So if there's no such thing as supernatural, let's take natural and put it into that place, supernatural state. And that's evident in South Africa. But let me also tell you it's evident in the church. In, because if we deny that in the local church, we begin to elevate the pastors, the preachers, the songs, the musos, and look how they're falling. And I'm not pointing fingers, and some way I want to address how we can deal with this for ourselves. But people fall every time. And the faith of people are shaken because faith is in someone, a gift, a ministry, a person, because it's been elevated above supernatural status. Because we've denied the supernatural. I'm not trying to be negative. But it seems that the church today is more dominated by the spirit of this age than it is by the spirit of Christ.
We are in an age battle rather than a Christ battle. We're contending for causes that are age-given, context-given rather than Christ-given. And we're trying to fix world problems with worldly ways. And we're nullifying the power of God himself by playing that game. God has a plan like nothing here on earth. This nation and Africa, you've been known for supernatural stuff. But let it not be you've been known. Let you be known for going forward. And not them, us. Us. Can we just pray? Can we close our eyes? Holy Spirit, you are God. We all have a history, we all have an experience, but we don't want to limit you to that. We want to know the Spirit, Holy Spirit, the Word of God. I pray for these men and women, courageous men and women, who've stood through challenges, still here, still leading. But I pray that we have not allowed our hearts to be hardened or our people to tell us or to put things on us that are hindering effectiveness in this season. And while we know you are everywhere, we also want to get back to knowing you are here. Making room for you to be God. That in the shaking you have broken down, but in the shaking you've also broken in. Would you break in more and more? You're welcome. You're welcome. You God, your church, your people. We belong to you. And we want your presence. We want to be carriers of your presence. We want to be doers. We want to be carriers. So I pray this morning that our eyes would lift to see you again in your glory. I pray, Lord, that where there have been hindrances or shackles that have come for whatever reason, however they've come, they'd be lifted in this room this morning. Lift off your people, your leaders. That which is not you, Lord, in Jesus' name, lift them up. Pray those who've learned 
or feared because of experience today, we say, we trust you, God, the Holy Spirit. As much as we trust you, God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we trust you. And you're not just here to hook us up. You're here to comfort us, to walk with us. You're here to reveal things to us. You're here to convict us. You're here to cleanse us. So let our experience not limit what you want to do with the people you've called us to lead. Give us fresh faith this morning to endure and to run this great race, not in front of you, not behind you, but with you, Holy Spirit. In step, the early church, spirit filled, spirit moved, spirit sent, spirit led. Help us to be spirit filled, spirit moved. Spirit sent, Spirit led. Led by you, Holy Spirit. Not for our churches, for us personally. We ask this in your glorious and precious, precious name. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.